What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. The Hale Varsity Radio Saturday Morning Show, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Strap yourselves in. Here are your hosts, Chris Schmidt. Y'all don't even know he was a virgin until he's 28, and now, roll tide. And Mark Cranach. Time has come for someone to put his foot down. And that foot is me. Welcome to it. It's the Saturday morning edition of Hail Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. If you cannot hear by now, my voice does not sound much like Chris Schmitz or Mark Cranack. It's Elijah Herbal here on your Saturday morning. Uh, Mark Cranack out watching some volleyball on this lovely Saturday morning, which uh, at least it's not baseball when I look outside and thunderstorms and rain and all that. Great for my great for my lawn, not great for, uh, for outdoor sports, but Mark Cranack hopefully inside somewhere. Watching some volleyball. As for Chris Schmidt, your guess is as good as mine. Missing in action on this morning uh, as of right now. Hoping to, to hear from Chris a little bit later. Maybe, maybe stuck in that brutal Lincoln 7 a.m. Saturday traffic. Uh, maybe stuck in the uh, the drive through line at Krispy Kreme or Scooters or Starbucks, what have you. Uh, really, really couldn't tell you where he is. Uh, so it's Elijah Herbal here on a Saturday morning. I've got half an apple fritter in me, half of a, a monster in me. Not sure what I'm going to talk about, but I am ready to go. As uh, Huskers opening fall camp yesterday. Uh, again, if you want to get in contact with the show, you can give us a call here on a Saturday morning, 402-466-3776. Uh, tweet at ESPN Lincoln. Or at Herbal Essences, you can send Chris an email, even though he's missing an action. You can ask where he is right now, I guess. Uh, at Chris at HaleVarsity.com is where you find him. Uh, again, you find me on Twitter at Herbal Essences. Uh, but let's get this Saturday morning show on the road. Got a, a couple of options for the rewind today. Unsure what we're going to get into. Uh, as we heard from Joel Klatt last week at Big Ten Media Days. Whoa! Chris Schmidt has... Arrived, and I, I have stormed in, and brother, I'm driving in. I just beat the train at 33rd and Cornhusker. Not anything unsafe. I just got across the uh, the tracks before. Oh yeah, there's a train on the way. I'm impressed. You've had just half of an, of an apple fritter <laughs> and about half a bottle of Monster, brother. Got a lot of offensive line to talk. It's day two of camp. And I was up five. And I've spent the last hour doing my best dumb and dumber impersonation. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody had one too many jalapenos last night on his beer and tacos. There's your too much information for your Saturday morning. Welcome in to the weekend edition. What a surprise it was to see the, the lights flip on and you walk in. I was just, I was expecting oh, you to be rolling in at 745. I was getting ice picked by you, brother. <laughs> and I, and I would have been here. I, I just hit some bad lights and clearly a bad jalapeno last night. I would just like to add, the only reason I'm only through half this apple fritter is because it's not a good apple fritter. There's, see, there's half an apple in this thing that is just like, I am. it's like crunching into like the, the core of an apple. It's not mm-hmm. good at all. They are legendary. Grandma Schmidt. God rest her soul, would always go down to the bakery in Norfolk, mm. Nebraska. There's some 
special bakery in Norfolk. So all six of his grandkids, we'd be there for either Christmas or Easter, sometimes both, maybe Thanksgiving, whatever the case. And, you know, Sunday before everyone's getting ready for church, we're all around the, the, the breakfast table and it's 35 seconds, microwave, boom. Oh. And I am the biggest, I'm, I'm an apple fritter snob. I'm with you a thousand percent. Got to be the best, be, or the best breakfast donut. <laughs> Slip of the tongue there. But uh, my roommate. His... It's almost as good as what you said. <laughs> Right? It's close. It's a it's a it's one A one B, a little distance. Ohio State, everybody else. Yeah, but uh, my my roommate, his family um, owned a bakery in Seward. It just recently closed down. Actually, okay. uh, his his grandparents were like there at three a.m. every single day, like making donuts, making uh, bread, making cookies, and um, every single like major family get together holiday, Christmas, Thanksgiving, whatnot. There would just be the most delicious, like, leftover cookies, leftover pieces of pie. Because, like, I don't know what they do differently over there, but though I just, like... It's made with love? It's made with love, and it was absolutely delicious. Every single thing I had. I never got to try one of their apple fritters. Um, but the, the Seward Bakery, apparently... I'm not from Seward, but apparently a lot of people in Seward were sad to see it go. And uh, some of the most incredible sugar cookies I've ever had, donuts, just... You name it. It was incredible. That is good. We will continue this apple fritter portion of the discussion uh, with Brandon Vogel in one hour, Gary Sharp. We will see what their draft pick is. What would they go recruit uh, when it comes to, to breakfast pastries? Uh, had a lot of great times in Indianapolis for media days. And we, uh, we, we brought those to you Thursday and Friday on Hale Varsity uh, just a, you know a week ago. And there's a lot of things that are going to make the rewind, one of which will be Joel Klatt, uh, lead analyst for college football for Fox. Uh, our sit down with him, his take on Nebraska, his take on the, on the landscape of college football. So that's part of the rewind here in about 15 minutes or so. Let's dive into recruiting and what Nebraska was able to get. Elijah, you and I are both fired up about the offensive line and defensive line for Nebraska, so that'll be uh, something we'll dive into today as well. But a great get for Nebraska football for 2022. And listen, this class is so limited, right? You've got scholarship and numbers, and that's a reality for Nebraska 2022. They're just in a situation, and you've got scholarships that are kind of being held over, and, and, and that's great. You've got a number of super seniors on this team, and everyone gets the old pause button due to COVID. So Nebraska, what, maybe 14, maybe 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 18? I mean, that 14 to 18 range is what we're looking at for Nebraska. And there's so many in-state kids as well, right? We were up there for the Ward Academy this week, Wednesday, and the future 50. There's some good football players that, again, are being circled by the Iowas, by the Iowa States by Kansas State, in-state, that are not that are not going to be uh, a part of Nebraska football. And, and good for those kids getting a scholarship opportunity. But uh, out of Chicago, uh, St. Rita, you have offensive lineman Valen Erickson. And, you know, Nebraska able to work hard on him. Erickson's a kid that was from Florida but moved with his family to Chicago. And we talk about what's that shelf life like 
on the the Central Florida days for Scott Frost and his Orlando slash Florida connections. Well, uh, this is a, a brilliant case in point with Erickson uh, growing up uh, and and knowing what Frost and his staff did down in Orlando, and that was really what what got Erickson initially drawn to, sparked his interest with Nebraska, and. This is another example, Elijah, too, where you had Erickson up on campus multiple times before he committed. Nebraska does such a great job, and they did a great job during COVID recruiting, okay, as far as just being able to stay in contact, do virtual visits, just stay after kids. Well, this is an instance once once things got lifted a little bit, uh, you had Erickson up here for, for the Red-White Spring game, uh, several visits here. And uh, he was also uh, a third member of that June 4th group uh, who's since committed. So all the legwork you put in uh, during that, that, that first Friday Night Lights camp and the, the O-line camp and the work you put in during COVID, you've got three kids from that first wave that came in. And it, again, you can't emphasize enough the, the limited number of scholarships, but He'll he'll probably start off just talking with a couple of folks here last night after his commitment yesterday afternoon. Um, offensive guard, and then you move to outside. I want your uh, opinion slash take on things. Did you ever start out inside and then move outside? And, yeah, I played O-line, but that was way back in Moose Smidget football. <laughs> you you played uh, in, in the <laughs> – he played in the playoffs. So – What's that transition like? What was it like for you going from from inside on the interior? Obviously, shorter distance versus some behemoth screaming off the edge trying to kill your quarterback. Um, while on one hand very similar, uh, on the other hand completely different. It's uh, I mean, it's still offensive line play, and it's still the same end goal at the end of the day. Is personally, I enjoyed being on the outside a lot more. Um, that's because I'm going up against you know high school athletes and as a, a six foot three 270 pound kid uh you found a lot more kids that were smaller than you on that outside because they're they got have some speed on the edge uh they're you know sealing the sacrifice edge and, speed size for some speed yeah um so i personally really enjoyed it you also just have like a lot more space whenever you look at uh the defensive ends uh as compared to the, the nose guard who's like right on top of the ball i'm now as a center growing up that's what i was born and raised to do through middle school through early high school i was a center and then uh late in my career in my junior year they moved me uh, out to left tackle and that was the number one thing that surprised me was when i was getting into a guy it wasn't like i'm taking one step and then i'm blocking this dude i could take one or two steps uh and then i'm getting into the guy outside and it just the space between a tackle and an end is so different than the space between like a center and a nose guard or or a a guard and a defensive tackle Mm -hmm. even um so that's like the number one thing i had to pick up pretty quickly was just it's a little bit different whenever you have a little bit more time to get into a guy um they have a little bit more time to read what you're doing and uh you also have a, a little bit more time to get some momentum built up as you get into a guy. It's not about digging a guy out. That's what they always tell you whenever you're inside is it's like dr- digging out a tree stump. Cause it's like those short, stubby little nose guards. That Fire weigh, hydrants. That weigh 310 pounds, and you don't have any momentum to, to build up to get into them. Uh, it's all about staying low, getting or getting low, staying low, and, uh, and being able to, to dig that guy out of there, whereas – I mean, a six foot six guy in high school usually doesn't have the same bending ability that a guy who's five foot ten, five foot eleven does. It's hard to get under a guy in high school, so I I'd assume that moving out that outside is a little bit easier transition for him. Um, 
But at the end of the day, offensive line is offensive line. It's the same end goal. It's it's keep that guy out of the hole. Keep that guy off your quarterback. It's a mentality for exactly, sure. It's exactly. physicality. It's nastiness. And think about Nebraska too. And when you start to get a kid off on the interior, and then you move him outside because you look at his traits and say, okay, footwork and his agility and quickness and ability to respond to said quickness that he's going to be facing off the edge in the Big Ten. You don't want to throw him into the deep end of the pool that way. Nebraska's got a lot of examples that we'll get a chance to see, not only from a rotational standpoint on the offensive line this year, but you're going to see uh, that come to fruition. A guy like Sichterman, uh, who's battling for that right guard spot. We'll get into some of the position battles in a moment. But uh, just to, to put a cap here on Erickson, Valen was recruited very heavily by Missouri, Illinois, Louisville, Cincy, and then Tennessee after him. So that's a really good list of schools that was coming after him. And uh, it's, uh, it's Nebraska uh, continuing to go coast to coast in their recruitment. Nine commitments hail from seven different states. And this is uh, the... the uh, this is the sixth uh, verbal commitment uh, for the offensive side of the ball, just two on the defensive side. But you uh, can go to hailvarsity.com, check out uh, Valen Erickson's highlight footage and uh, great stuff from Greg Smith. Can, can I add, you were discussing earlier the, uh, the shelf life of, of Scott Frost's success at UCF, and it's crazy to think about the guys that are going into their senior year of high school were in eighth grade whenever UCF uh, won their quote-unquote national championship. Yeah, it, it's just unreal to think about how fast that time went. We're going to uh, reach a, a time here. If Scott Frost isn't winning in the next year or two, um, guys aren't going to remember what he did at UCF, which is just ridiculous to think about. Whenever you're a fifth grader or a sixth grader, that might be distant back of your memory. Oh, yeah, Scott Frost had a, a good couple years at UCF, but that was a long time ago. Whereas it feels so fresh in our memory. Um, it, it's not to these high school guys. It, it, it's not going to be long before guys don't remember at all what he did at UCF, and it's only what he did at Nebraska. You know, it's it's funny. We were talking with Steve Ward about this, <laughs> how, how things have shifted, and that kind of blew me away. Steve came in to kind of finish up uh, the, the Future 50 with us on Wednesday. And from the recruitment standpoint, like, all right, do you want to win or do you just want to go to a place? And really, winning's still important to a lot of recruits, clearly. But maybe not as important, more so fit and availability and what's what's the, the, the position battle look like, you know, what's – what, what school am I going into and how stacked? Not that kids are afraid of competition, but kids want to play early, right? They do. And that'll be, that's always been a, a selling point, the ability to play early or all right, how soon can I get developed by this coaching staff to be able to play at a high level early? You know, a lot of it's on me as a player. And, and Steve's like, you know, kids, kids really just, just want to go, go where they feel at home most and then yeah, winning is important, but about 99.9% of the spots, be it AAC or Pac-12 or Group of Five or Power Five, if you can ball, the NFL is going to find you. And the way it's structured, you can be an undrafted safety and and make a team and and have a legit shot of beating out somebody they they spent a third round draft pick on. Yeah, and it's it's not even going Division One. You got guys going Division. One double A, you got guys going Division Two, and they're still getting looks, and that's why these guys, I think, are, are saying, "Oh, I don't need to go play at Alabama." I mean, if Alabama comes in and offers you, it's hard to say no to Bama. Sure. 
But but these guys are saying, if I can go Division Two and still get noticed, I'm going to go find a place that's the right fit for me. The NFL doesn't miss that many guys anymore. No. Do, they, do they still miss? Yes. Um, but most of these guys, are you're going to get a shot. If you got talent, you're at least going to get a shot in the NFL. Uh, so the guys aren't saying, they're not worried about being missed uh, where they're going to go anymore. It's all about finding that right fit. Uh, I, I'm with you. But uh, as we get into just Nebraska's offensive line, um, how close are we to a point where Nebraska's building something where if Nebraska offers a guy, other schools going to start swooping in? I mean, that's the the thought with a school like Iowa or Wisconsin. Whenever they offer a, a kid in the Midwest uh, to play offensive line for them, it feels like other schools are going to follow suit just because you go, oh, if Wisconsin wants this kid, uh, we want this kid. But you look at uh, Valen's offer list. Before Nebraska offered, he had Liberty, Illinois State, Western Michigan, Northern Illinois. And then the week after Nebraska offered, he picked up an offer from Syracuse, an offer from Cincinnati. Uh, A week and a half later, he picked up that offer from Tennessee. Uh, Two weeks after Nebraska offered, he picked up uh, an offer from Louisville. Like, Mm -hmm. it's just... People saw that Nebraska offer, and they went, Nebraska's building something along their offense line. If Nebraska wants him, we want him too. Yeah, Greg Austin likes this dude. It's... Uh, oh, uh, ding, ding, you know, alarm bells are sounding. And let's, let, okay, if Nebraska's confident enough to, to offer the kid, let's do it. All right, let's get into where Nebraska's offensive line can go. Uh, you, you feel really good about it if you're a Nebraska fan. I think you feel really good about it if you're Scott Frost and Greg Austin with just the experience you have back. You don't have a, a, a boatload of experience, per se, but last last year... The silver lining to the mess that was COVID is you you got a chance to play and you got a chance to play real game reps. It wasn't just practice. Now, you had to substitute some growing pains and some learning on the job quite a bit in some big games uh, in the moment versus having a spring ball <laughs> or, or an off season. I mean, it, it, it had to suck for a lot of these guys that were redshirt freshmen uh, or or just freshmen, or even going into their sophomore year, you you want to play, you want to be able to go in and perform, but it's a it's a huge jump, and you saw, I thought pretty pretty good play by that right side of the offensive line. If you're gonna if you're gonna look at this thing as as, as a big picture, now were there were there were there uh, some some missteps, some holding calls, some some penalties. There was some adjustment that had to have uh, happen with Ethan Piper and, and Bryce Benhard. Uh, when we look at some of their numbers here, uh, four sacks allowed by Benhart, three quarterback hits allowed, 11 hurries, and there's four penalties there. Five penalties by Ethan Piper, seven hurries, and one quarterback hit. That's just your right side of the line. Cam allowed just one sack, six hurries, and two penalties. Turner Corcoran, he's... I think right below 120 snaps, okay? And with, with Turner, uh, allowed one sack, one hurry, and, and one penalty. And then there's Trent Hickson with some of those numbers. Uh, Brad Banks didn't, didn't allow any, didn't have as, as many snaps. Uh, Sichterman uh, allowed just one hurry. So we, we talk about Adrian and his success and everybody around him. And what that kind of depends on, it depends on a strong running game. It depends on receivers getting open and stretching the field so it's not a 47-man box that you're trying to run against or stay in the pocket on. But also with Ben Hart and Piper, I'm really looking forward to to their surge forward 
and and I know we're talking about the right guard opening, and I know Piper was a, a left guard, but I think you'll see a, a really nice jump by Piper when it comes to cutting down on the hurries, a little more confidence, a little more uh, just understanding of the game speed that is the Big Ten. Uh, five penalties, those were – some of those were, were tough. Same with Ben Hart. Ben Hart got hosed quite a bit on uh, – and I, re- I remember pretty vividly, like he's on the edge, the quarterback rolls to his right, and Ben Hart's there, one Mississippi, two Mississippi – has his hands on the end, and then I would I can just see him still doing it, dropping his hands once the quarterback was able to escape. And I think one of the times it was against Iowa, I think one of the times it was probably against Minnesota, in another instance uh, against Illinois. And listen, you don't want to be the offensive lineman that gets hammered for holding all the time, but it seems like Ben Hart, for whatever reason, brother, there was a there was a microscope on him and. That's something he'll no doubt work to clean up. And the hurry part, I mean, that just, that's tough. Quarterbacks can make plays when there are hurries. That's part of the game. That's football. But you, you need that uh, that right tackle, that right side to be pretty clean. And and I think Ben Hart can, can take a nice step. He was really good for being a freshman last year, right? A redshirt freshman. Now you're going into what would be a redshirt sophomore year, even though he's still technically paused as a redshirt freshman. But that guard spot, Elijah, uh, teammate of yours, Brock Bando, uh, in in position to battle for a guard spot. We're wondering if Brant Banks is going to push. There's that battle between Banks and Sichterman for the right guard spot. Hickson's played played a lot of snaps here at Nebraska, so he's a great option at one of the guard spots. Um, and for for what you need as a center, Hickson's going to be able to step in and play center if if need be. Newelli, uh and and you have Ezra Miller, too. Of course, the, the transfer Ezra. So this is a, a list of dudes that have been in the program for a long time and a list of guys that I think can continue to drill and, and be part of a rotation. What Babbers was talking about where by rotation three, let's see some new faces and names on the offensive line come in. So at some point, uh, when and you know, best wishes to a Ben Hart and a Turner, and a a, a guy like uh, Jurgens on Sundays, right? When their time is up at Nebraska, you can kind of reload with guys that have had quite a bit of game experience. Now, it's it's always much different to come in and and play some plays versus being the starter. I, I get it. There's there's the there's that difference. You got to step in and step up, but. Nebraska and Coach Austin, brother, they've got a lot of names to choose from and rotate through and, and, and preferably not have much of a drop-off. I think you were forced to, to kind of just go with your five or six best and let's flip-flop positions versus let's go to a backup. I mean, you, you used a lot of swing talent, uh, guys playing different positions, and that can't be ultra-comfortable for guys. If you spent most of your time drilling at left tackle – or right guard, okay, go play left guard for us. And uh, guys did it and did, did it to the best of their ability, but I don't know how, uh, how natural it was within in the season. They're asked to do it. They cross-trained for it, but there's, there's a, definitely a home if you're a right guard versus having to go, okay, go play left guard for us. Okay, you're a left tackle, go play right tackle. That's what kind of mesmerized me about like Searles and Qualley, both those guys. 
they were able to flip flop and uh, and and Rodriguez, the kid out of Aurora. There was a nice three man rotation for a, a three four year spurt uh, back during that uh, that that T Magic era, where those guys would rotate in. Barney had them ready to play ball uh, at either tackle spot and. That was that was pretty impressive. Yeah, super impressive when you're flip flopping sides. I, I can see left guard to left tackle because I, I think it's really important to at least know what the guy next to you is doing along the offensive mm. line. And really, as a, as a college football player, I'd expect the offensive line to know what everybody on the offensive line is doing on a given play because it's really important to just know how a, a play is, is structured to work so you can better understand your job. So I think it's it's good. I mean, when you look at the the class breakdown for this. I mean, 18 of these 24 offensive linemen because of the eligibility freeze are either uh, true freshmen, uh, a pr- still, freshman after an eligibility freeze, or still a redshirt freshman. 18 of the 24 still have uh, three years of eligibility left. Then that's three full years of eligibility left. So it's how important is it that they are able to get in these reps at left tackle as well as left guard? Because you really don't know where the opening is going to like. Say uh, with the eligibility freeze. Two years from now, you could have guys that are sticking around and other guys that are saying, no, it's, it's my time to go to the NFL. And you're a left tackle, but the left guard spot's now open. It's huge that you can know multiple positions, especially in a place like the offensive line where uh, that's a pretty doable thing to do. Um, but uh, to bring this back to, to your point uh, a little bit about um, being able to have some, some continuity, uh, I'm just uh, looking at this offensive line and saying, like, even though they're young, I think I, I trust the guys that are going to be coming in. And I think there's still some position battles, especially mm-hmm. at the guard spots. Um, but I look at what Turner Corcoran did against Rutgers and how much of a, a confidence boost that is to not only look at it and say, I can hang, but to know you have a, a full game of film you can look at as you prepare for your next season to say, I can hang. And with another offseason of preparation, I, I can I can dominate at this level. Um, give it a couple of years, maybe. But y- you understand... Uh, that it's not like you're going out there being at class as a true freshman. So, uh, I mean, that's that's kind of how I feel up and down the offensive line is all these guys have a lot they can improve on. However, they all hung whenever they did get their snaps last year. No, I, was, I, I liked how they played. In between the 20s, I mean, Nebraska did well rushing the football. Red zone's red zone, obviously. But, uh, listen, Ben Hart, shy of 600 snaps. Piper, just over 500 snaps. Jurgens at 440, and then Turner got 106 right throughout the year, but most of those coming against Rutgers. And they're, listen, going against Shiano and some of the dudes Rutgers had, um, that, that's really nice baptism by fire in your first game, even though it was the, you know, the, the, the final ball game of the year. Hickson's seen time as a junior. So, yeah, and, and even uh, Cam Jurgens joked about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm still a sophomore, but this is my third year. <laughs> so. Uh, it works well. Uh, that's going to be, you know, your key to success is Nebraska's offensive line this year. You've got a lot of guys that have been in the program and even more depth behind them to be uh, pretty salty. 7.33 on your weekend edition of Hale Varsity Radio. We'll step away, get the rewind cranked up. We didn't even mention uh, Big Teddy or, 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 or Big Henry, uh, a couple of freshmen that they're high on as well. So this all kicked off with uh, Nebraska's new recruit, on the offensive line. We'll hear from Joel Klatt, his take on Nebraska from media days. Joel Klatt's on on Scott Frost and uh, realignment that's going on, Oklahoma and Texas. Uh, A chat with Joel on the way weekend edition. Rewind next to Tale Varsity presented by the Nebraska Lottery. 
Now back with Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery, with Chris Schmidt and Mark Cranach. Back here at Lucas Oil Stadium, uh, Chris Schmidt, Joel Klatt uh, with Fox Sports College Football. Joel, what a scene this is. My first time in Oil. I know you've covered many a Big Ten time. A pretty special venue. Thanks for the time. Yeah, you bet. I, uh, I'm i excited to be here. It's good to be back at, at a media day and getting ready for what will be a more normal season, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, let's hope that it moves that direction. When we talk uh, normalcy, uh, Nebraska football used to being nine and three, ten and two, playing for championships. Scott Frost has put a ton of work in. Yep. Nebraska trying to make the jump in year four. Yep. How do you look at, at Nebraska as you kind of uh, weigh in what's back in the West and and you know the the bigger picture of college football? What yeah. do you look at? What do you look at this fourth season being? I I think that I think that maybe the project was a little bit more. Um, intense, um, dire than Scott realized mm-hmm. before he got here. Um, program was not in a good spot. Just kind of, you know, that's, I think everybody kind of realizes that. I I have always appreciated the fact, the fact that Scott is, one, a hard worker, two, wants badly to succeed at Nebraska and three is incredibly honest and and I've had very honest conversations with him I can remember doing last year's game before um, Ohio State and he said you know and he we did the meeting and and he was very complimentary of his players there's no doubt but but there was an honesty about like listen you know we're not at a level yet where we can go out there. So, like, everything's going to have to go right for us to compete in this game. Mm-hmm. And for a little bit, it did. Remember early, you know, the first were, half. Yeah, they played well in the first half. There's no doubt about it. Offensively, they were doing some creative things. But, you know, then it's just a war of attrition. You just don't have the players to keep up with a, a team like Ohio State. Uh, so I've always appreciated Scott's honesty. And so when he says he's the most excited that he's been about any of his teams at Nebraska, I believe him. When he talks about the offensive line first as the position group that he's most excited about and the fact that they've had to put so much work into not only the development but the recruiting and just the overall physicality of that group, that I believe him. And so to me, like I, I, think, I think Nebraska has a chance to be the best team that Scott has had, right? Mm-hmm. Now, having said that, they get no favors in this league, man. I'm telling Schedule's you. Like, brutal. The schedule is brutal. Brutal. And they don't even have to play the buffs. Kidding. Kidding. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah, I know that one. Uh, that, but, a couple you know, years get, buffs are back, I know that, back on the schedule. Awesome, which will be awesome. Which will be awesome. I can't wait. Um, <laughs> Michigan and Ohio State, you know, from, from the other side. At least side. they're in Lincoln, but you got you get a roadie to Norman. Which is is not fun. I'll do that game actually. I'll okay. be there. We'll be down there in the RV lot. So come by for yeah, a cold there one. Go. There you go. <laughs> um, schedule's tough. Schedule's incredibly tough. They're, they've got OU's going to open up maybe as the number two or number three team in the country. Mm-hmm. Ohio State's going to open up as maybe the number four team in the country. Um, I think that the West side is really tough. Iowa's way better than people are giving them credit I think for. 
good. I think that they're very good. They're very sturdy. They absolutely could win that division. I think Wisconsin is going to be a lot better than what they were with Graham getting his feet wet. Obviously, we know that Northwestern is always tough. Like, it's just a tough deal, right? So, I, like, are, are they going to be a better team this year? Absolutely. Are they going to win nine games? I don't know. I don't know. I think that that would be a lot. That would be a, a heck of a season if, if Scott and his bunch won nine games. What's your thoughts on Adrian? I mean, there's been a roller coaster for Adrian in, in, in his career. He handled the adversity, in my opinion, last year with the benching and then reemerging uh, the right way. Stand, yes. up, stand up kid, stand up teammate. So now you get a senior season, and there you go. I think it's going to help that he has his best offensive line that he's had. Right, I mean, Adrian has been behind some some poor offensive lines. It's, it's either been the line or what's or what what's, he's what's, to throw what's to. the skill set. I mean, it's a That's far exactly right. it's a far cry from a, a JD and a and a Stanley Morgan. That's exactly. I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Um, and any of us that have played that position have gone through that. In particular, when you start for any number of years in college, is you're going to have years where you're like, oh my gosh, I don't have the skill position players. Oh my goodness, my offensive line is not quite as good. Um, I really appreciated him, just his maturity, his leadership, the way he handled everything. That tells me a lot about you as a person. And, and it's my belief that quarterbacks have to be that high-character individual within the locker room. I'm sure that the way Adrian went through everything that he's been through over the last couple of years, and specifically last year, has won him favor within the locker room, right? And that's a big deal, in particular when you're going into your your senior year. I hope he plays really well. I hope he stays healthy, and I think we're going to see the best version of him this year. I really do. Who challenges? Is there a challenge for Ohio? There's There's, probably a challenge. But with Ohio State, what's what's that race look like? There's not, right? Like Penn State's? Pretty loaded, good talent. You have, uh... but when you look at the actual composition of these rosters, there's not a roster that is in the hemisphere of Ohio State. No. Sorry, there's just not year after year, and and it's getting worse. Um, you could say the same thing about Clemson and the ACC. You can say the same thing at the top of the SEC between Georgia and Alabama and 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 LSU to a certain extent, and the rest of their conference. Maybe Florida is in there as as well. Um, it, you can say that with Oklahoma, mm-hmm. you know, with their roster composition, kind of Texas too. There's just a, a giant separation between between the top of these conferences and everybody else. Now, as it relates to, like, this conference, I would say the second tier of this conference is better than the second tier in almost every everywhere mm-hmm. else, which makes it deep. But I hate to say it, like, no one's up there. Now, I don't know if Ohio State's going to win the league or not. They've mm-hmm. won four straight. Their their roster composition is better than anybody else's. Does that mean that they're going to win the conference? I don't know. I don't know. I think Penn State's got an experienced quarterback. I'm excited to see what Mike Yurchich kind of brings as the mm-hmm. offensive coordinator. They won four straight last year. I think Iowa is sneaky good. Michigan flying under the radar. What does that mean? Is one of these quarterbacks going to step up and actually be a guy that they can really rely on? What is Wisconsin going to be with Graham Mertz? There's a, There's a lot of questions for me about all of this. But when you sit back and you you actually look at it, I went out in the spring and just watched Ohio State practice. Guys, I know Justin Fields ain't going to be there. I I totally understand that. That team is loaded. Loaded. I don't know who their quarterback's going to be. They're choosing between three really good players Mm -hmm. at the quarterback position. And every other position on the field, either side, is too deep.
That's the reality of what it is. I'm not trying to blow smoke or hyperbole. That's just the reality of what that roster is. That's their level right now. Indiana, how do they react? I didn't mention Indiana. I love Coach Allen and and Phoenix and, wow. But they're they're not a surprise anymore. If if Ohio State doesn't fix their pass defense, namely their ability to get to the quarterback, Indiana is really interesting because Mm -hmm. Michael Penix – there's something about him, man. I'm telling you, when he's healthy and when he's on the field, that team is totally different. Tom Allen will tell you that. The statistics bear that out. Um, they're a good football team. They've got great energy within their program. Their roster and, and its composition is not nearly what Ohio State's is, but they proved last year that they've got the kids to go out there and take Ohio State to the limit. Um, they need breaks to go their way, certainly. There's no doubt about that. But that's a team that I'm, I'm very excited for. Uh, they've put themselves, think about it, we're talking about Indiana football, and they've put themselves on a tier in this conference with Penn State, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Iowa. Like, those are those are mm-hmm. the teams. And, and, and Indiana, right? And, and that's the level, to bring it back to ne- Nebraska, that's their next step. How do you get to where you're included in those teams? Um, and I think that's that, that's an important step for Nebraska to take. Joel Klatt, uh, college football, Fox. And uh, before we say goodbye, let's talk big picture here. What do you believe about expansion, mm-hmm. Texas, Oklahoma? What are well, you it's hearing? Real. What are you feeling? Yeah, so it's, it's 100% real. Um, I do not know how far down the road it has gone. And I do know that there's basically an all-out civil war behind closed doors in the state of Texas. Sure. A&M and A&M Texas. A&M is fighting tooth and nail. So I, I honestly, I don't know, nor do I understand how those two could ever coexist again in a conference together, <laughs> to, be, uh, to be quite honest. Now, w- what happens, I'm not sure. I, I happen to believe, you know, whether this happens as it's speculated or not, I do believe that this is the trigger for our next round of reconfiguration and reshuffling. And I, excuse me, I think that there's a really good chance that we end up with only four conferences. So the four super conferences, what's, again, to speculate here, okay, if Texas and OU go to the SEC, where does well, the Big Ten go shopping? I don't know. Who? And I don't know if they have to, to be honest with you. I don't think they have to either. I don't either. think that they have to. Um, and, and they can kind of stay around the rim and, and see what falls off the rim and if that's attractive or not, right? So, um, to me, you know, I, I don't think that the Big Ten has to do anything. I do think, I'll just, this is my own opinion. OU and Texas moving to the SEC may be good for them i don't i don't know right uh, obviously they're looking at trying to do something that's good for them it may be good for the sec i do know with every fiber in my being that that's not good for the sport overall mm-hmm. absolutely i know that and i think that's one of the biggest frustrations that i have with this sport and the people in charge of it is that they refuse to put the best interests of the sport globally first and we are governed not governed I I think you know college football operates in silos of selfishness and very fair and that's not good for the sport overall Gary Barnett give the rib off the, the rib off is coming in August come on 
And, uh, you know, I don't know if that's an invite to, to, to Coach Barney's backyard for the rib off or we just need to get a report. But there was some discussion Tuesday before we left for Indy about being a judge. He had won some Husker money on the golf course. Okay. So he was happy. Good for him. He puts the Husker money near his, his game balls, he says. Oh, so we can look it. at it each I day. It. I and, mean, 62-36, man. Yeah, 20 years. And they've never been the same since. No. No. And uh, That day. That was like the day. It's the music ending, right? Yes. And, and, and there's been a lot of changes, Joe. About every five years, somebody's moving oh, in or out man but the rib off he was wondering do you go dry rub or do you go wet sauce his his wife loves i'm the more, barbecue i like the sauce, sauce. Yeah. i'm a dry rub guy so we'll have i like to, sauce because i love like bread so you want to like and, okay and, yeah okay so there you go st louis style or baby bank i like st louis style same here so we'll, uh, we'll we'll shoot you a text and, and let get your reaction. And he's going to go St. Louis style. He's from St. Louis. Yeah, he's around there. Right. Missouri guy. Missouri. Uh-huh. <laughs> Joel Klatt. Joel, this is great to see yeah, you. you bet. Have Appreciate a good one, okay? Early to rise with Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Here's Chris Schmidt and Mark Cranick. Wanted down this first hour, weekend edition, Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal, Mark Cranach on assignment. His little girl's doing volleyball, man, and uh, good for him. He is <laughs> up early. I think he's probably got a, uh, what do you call it? The Cranach's uh, co- a coffee connoisseur, uh-huh. so the, the pour, right? Pour not, over? The, uh. Not the normal... You walk into a coffee shop and you get the uh, latte, whatever the hell. Or, but the the coffee he'd always get if we go grab coffee. Uh, they they do that that certain type of pour. I forget what it is where it's less acidic. He'll have to explain it to us next weekend. Is it the one where they, they like you actually pour the coffee over yourself? Well, they pour it for you, but it's it's some sort of setup. I'll have to ask Vogel. Yeah, I think I mean, I think most places just call it like a, a or get yourself a pour over coffee. It's not it's not the one that is like in the 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 thermos like that stays hot all day. It's one that right. you like do in front of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'm losing it here. Forgive me, but anywho, he's got a cup of coffee. He's watching some volleyball with his little girl. So good on him. We'll be uh, back at it next weekend. So I'm confused on on the date of the rib off. Is that next weekend with Barnett? If we go back. Are we supposed to be in Boulder next Saturday? Is my question out loud. I, I can go back and check his uh, the interview over the over the break because <sighs> it was the first part of August, uh-huh. it which was. is next weekend. <laughs> so, man, time flies. No, it does. So we'll dive into some more Nebraska football topics and thoughts, uh, specifically uh, Brandon Vogel's take on things. Gary Sharp, the Iron Horse, will be with us. And uh, thoughts on Nebraska from Sharpie. we, we got to see if any of these guys are, are good at softball. I need some softball tips for the celebrity game tonight. All right, well, both. Celebrity, quote-unquote. Well, yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you for putting the roster together. And, and do not go Chicago Cubs front office with this group you've assembled tonight. Trade them all away an hour before first pitch. <laughs> you, you, you're moving. You, you're gone. 
No trading uh, with the Alpha slash 1011 softball squad. We'll dive into it. Plenty of, of camp thoughts for 2021. Hour two, weekend edition, Hail Varsity, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. The Hail Varsity Radio Saturday Morning Show, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Strap yourselves in. Here are your hosts, Chris Schmitz. Y'all don't even know he was a virgin until he's 28, and now, roll tide. And Mark Cranach. Time has come for someone to put his foot down. And that foot is me. Hour 2 Weekend Edition, Hail Bar City Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery, Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal. And uh, we'll check in with the Iron Horse, Gary Sharp, in about 25 minutes or so. We kick off Hour 2 with Brandon Vogel, Managing Editor, HailVarsity.com and Magazine. His book with John Cook, Dream Like a Champion. Find Vogues on Twitter at Brandon L. Vogel. Vogues, uh, we've got a ton to discuss uh, we'll get into fall camp, some position thoughts uh, with some uh, some different groups. Where are you at when it comes to apple fritters? Elijah kicked off the show letting me know that he had about half of an apple fritter. I'm a bit of an apple fritter snob. Uh, it's got to be good. I mean, I'll eat any of them, but I mean, if, if, I've, if I'm buying, I'm going to a certain couple of go-tos. Is that usually what, what you're uh, you're bringing home? Are you going apple fritter or are you going glazed donut? You going sprinkle? You going long john? What are you doing? I would put the the apple fritter is not a starter for me, but it it, it is occasionally a solid sixth man. And you're right. I think the 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 the, the quality uh, varies quite a bit. What I like, what I really like to go for an apple fritter is if like I'm taking something home and I can pop it in the microwave for. 15 or 20 seconds and just warm it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, usually my, my, like my, 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 my MVP, my uh, scoring guard at the donut shop, which tends to work out no matter kind of what donut shop you're at is the crawler, um, which isn't fancy, not sprinkles, no frosting, but the texture is always good. It's just a really solid pick. So the crawler is, is that kind of like the, the fried square donut deal? Is that it? Yes. Oh, yep. okay. the, the twisty one. Yes, nailed. Yes, those are those are good objections. Or are you nodding your head in agreement, Elijah? I'm more of a if I'm going with like one of the actual like circularish donuts, uh, I got to go for a, an old fashioned. Okay. Okay. The old fashioned is the go to for me. An old fashioned to go with your old fashioned, right? Uh, usually it's morning, and I'm not an old-fashioned guy before before noon. But. You have standards. <laughs> when did this start? No, that's pretty good. Folks, uh, I'm excited, man. Camp is here, and uh, we're, we're well, a month away from Nebraska, Illinois, and a lot to cover. I want to start off with uh, some things that, that Mike Dawson was touching on uh, recently with his his group, the outside linebacker group. When it comes to positions – and question marks of 2021 are, are outside linebackers like one B to running backs for you, or are they maybe are they at the top of the list, uh, much like your crawler? Yeah, no, I think I think running back is probably at the top of the list for me at, at this stage. And you know, we've got three weeks of fall camp. Maybe maybe in three weeks we'll we'll feel a little bit differently. I, I put them ahead of outside linebackers just because you can feel pretty good to the degree that he, he plays any sort of traditional outside linebacker role. Uh, feel pretty good about Doman, of course. Um, now he does a bit of everything. And 
did a bit of everything last year. One of those things wasn't, you know, his, you know consistently get after the quarterback because well, he wasn't really asked to do that a ton. So you've just got one side of that equation where they've they've kind of shuffled through guys. They've tried multiple guys at that spot. Caleb Tanner has played a lot of snaps there. <clears throat> and you're still just, you know, entering season four, kind of looking for more from that spot. So do, do they have those guys there that, that can offer that? Um, and that that's still a question that remains to be seen. But if you have somebody who, you know, if, if JoJo Dolman is, has his half locked down, now I understand outside linebacker's not covering literally the entire half of the field, but you, you feel good about that side, you know, it should be easy for somebody to step in there, or easier, I guess, not easy, uh, to step in there and, and have an impact from, from the other edge. And it, it just hasn't quite materialized yet. Caleb Tanner will get another crack at that. Um, you know, they've got, they've got some other guys that, based on fan day, it looks like Ty Robinson might be trying out some, some outside linebacker play, um, which is certainly intriguing given his size and athleticism. So it's, it's on the defense. I think it might be the area that's easiest to circle and say, okay, we feel like we can all kind of pencil in the 10 of the starting 11. Who's that one other outside linebacker? We're all wondering, can, can you get that splash kind of havoc type performance from the outside linebacker in this defense because that's what that's at least what clicked at Central Florida. You had a lot of good talent down there but you had Griffin coming off the edge and just blowing things up. You mentioned that that Robinson might be moonlighting uh, on the outside a little bit. They can get, get as creative as they want with him. Uh, I know Casey Rogers is a hand in the dirt guy. Uh, who's the other kid that, that's battled injuries? Help me out here. Um, that, that's been a defensive defensive end. Uh, oh shoot! Let me let me grab the old yearbook and flip through. Uh, but but I, I'm going to go to Tanner for a second. And he has been more of a of, of a finesse guy off the edge, right, with his speed and quickness. But it sounds to me like Dawson saying, "Okay, there's been some work done." from a physicality standpoint. So that's that's really the element in the Big Ten. You've got to be able to be strong as well as quick, Vogues, off the edge to, to do your responsibility, not only in coverage and against the run, but ultimately, right, getting after the quarterback. Yeah, you know, when you so when you look at, at Dolman on the other side, what you're trying to, to pair with that is – is kind of a, a quote unquote a heavy uh, outside linebacker. That's like you said that that slash guy that that we see. Um, if you're good, you rocket up the the NFL draft charts pretty quickly. It, you know, it's kind of a de facto defensive lineman. You know, if you're trying to parcel it out, it might be even more defensive lineman than it is than it is linebacker, despite where they line up. So it just offers you so much versatility, and and those kind of guys are. You know, they're not hard to find. I mean, you kind of know the body type that you need. But in Caleb Tanner's instance, super athletic, has played a lot of football for for Nebraska. It's almost, you know, he kind of stayed too athletic maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, And if that's changing now, uh, it might be, you know, his best fit for that role. Because when he came in, highly touted prospect, 
you put him in there and you're like, okay, well, he's, he's a freshman. He's good enough to be on the field and, and play. And we know that three, four years from now, he's going to be 20 or 25 pounds heavier. Um, maybe, maybe he's just getting there now. But that would be a welcome development for Nebraska. Tate Wildeman's guys I'm thinking of. Oh, yeah. Is, is he a name that, that you might see on the outside as well, just because of, of what he's battled and, and just how deep they are on the defensive line? I, I hope so, because he's a guy who, you know, from, from all accounts, puts in the work and has always been really diligent um, and, you know, has been has worked his way up through that hard work. And, and, and at those points, you know, you get an untorched injury, you get dinged up a little bit, and you just don't get to see the field. And, and you hate to see that for any player at any position. Um, it's it's one of those guys, and, you know, there's a number of them throughout Nebraska's history and really every team who's like, who's coming, who's always coming, and then something happens and you almost, you go long enough and, and you never quite get there. He's, he's early enough in his career that I don't, that's not a concern for me at this point. And, and that defensive line, you know, talking about versatility, uh, kind of got Daniels as a traditional nose tackle, but the other guys, Casey Rogers, Ben Stilley, Tate Wildeman would be in there. DeAndre Thomas would be a guy where this applies. You can kind of do a little bit of everything for him. And, and Nebraska experimented quite a bit with how those guys lined up. Brandon Vogel's with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. Uh, and Brandon... Uh, we were talking a little bit about this in in the first hour, um, specifically with the offensive line. We were talking about the the young log jam that there is uh, with so many freshmen and redshirt freshmen now after this eligibility freeze. Uh, is, is it the same story along the defensive line that you got a, a lot of young guys that are all kind of around that freshman, redshirt freshman, sophomore age that are that are all kind of lumped together because of the uh, the, the eligibility freeze that stuck them all together uh, in that the lower age bracket. Yeah, numbers-wise it is. I think the difference will kind of become apparent through through 2021. You look at the offensive line this year, uh, the two tackles are, are going to be early in their career, presumably. So if that goes as well as, as Nebraska hopes it does, if it, if it goes towards the potential that I think both Corcoran and Ben Hart have um, – that, that's one where you've got a lot of young guys on, on the roster and, and two of those spots, you know, barring injury, might get effectively locked off for, for a season or two. That's, that's what Nebraska hopes happen. Uh, the defensive line, you've got that same kind of like understudy group and there's, there's a bunch of guys in there who it's, it, they've been around for a while, but you look at the roster, they're all either fresh, redshirt freshmen or sophomores because of last year, you know, Guys like Casey Rogers, Tate Wildeman, um, Ty Robinson, you know, depending on where he's used. Uh, but you've got some guys, Ben Stilley's definitely going to be done after this year. Uh, you've got a couple of other frontline guys on the defensive line who, who might have a decision to make after 2021. So I think the difference there is you can see on the horizon that the D line's going to open up quite a bit here in the near future for Nebraska. I don't know if that's going to be the case on the offensive line. Brandon Vogels with us, HaleVarsity.com and Magazine, Managing Editor. Vogels, what did you take away from, from Adrian, his uh, time at the podium on uh, Thursday? He seems, he seems in a really good place. Um, you know, pretty calm and collected. I thought his answer to uh, Sam McEwen's question about, hey, you know, what was the offseason like? Did you have a decision to make? Like, he was really upfront about kind of talking about all the things that went into it. And 
you know, it was it was a good answer for now. I think it's going to be an even more telling answer four or five months from now um, when we get into, unfortunately, what's going to be known as, as transfer season, not just in Nebraska, but around the country, to kind of revisit that and think about, okay, here's a guy who, you know, has a starting job, uh, you know, we all assume. Like, it would be a shock if Adrian Martinez is not starting quarterback in Nebraska in 2021. He's had some success. He's also had some downs. Um, you know, just at him talking about that decision in that way, I think was a good look at, at kind of the calculus all of these players, not just Nebraska, but but everywhere, are kind of going through at the moment and, and what the impact of a transfer portal and a no-sit-out rule can have, you know, it kind of prompts you to be like, well, I, I got to think about this because there's effectively no penalty now. I mean, there can be a penalty for some guys going in the transfer portal when you look at the number of players without a, a landing spot. Mm-hmm. But it was just a really interesting answer to me. But overall, um, calmness is, is what I would say for Adrian. And, you know, it's never, he's never been a guy who's displayed in that setting at a press conference setting, like he's always been very kind of down the middle with interviews, but there was just something a little bit different about it this time. He does seem like he's in just a great spot. And I think a, he's healthy B he feels wonderful. I mean, just from a, from a body and fitness standpoint uh, with, with the work he's put in. And I think that camaraderie Vogues that they, he's made it a point to, to be, tight with his center and quarterbacks and centers got to be you know uh dudes together they got to be roomies they got to be friends you, you I mean you're <laughs> your relationship there's got to be on, on such a high level and that work was put put in i'm saying i'm not saying it wasn't at a high level before but i mean just spending time together it seems like from a chemistry standpoint there's been an effort to to really get to to know teammates and guys that are pretty vital to you uh, in on that offensive side of the ball this offseason, specifically with the, their golf outings. Yeah, you know, and I think that's an important development step for for any team, and it's one that no team could could really engage in last season. Which which is interesting when you stop and think about it. Like even if you wanted to develop that what kind of changes did all of the protocols throw in now you could say well it it may have been the perfect time to do that because you were basically you know uh a cluster there and you were tried to be separated from everything outside as much as you could but you know that could that could kind of swing both ways in terms of well we're together all the time (laughs) um so it's actually hard harder to bond um so it, it's just it's it's one of those things that you look at it coming around to 2021. You're like, yeah, this does seem like it's happening. This does seem like it was a concerted effort to do that, and it's just something that could have been off the table uh, going into 2020. And the, you know, the stop-start nature of of the Big Ten's football season season didn't contribute to that at all. Brandon Vogel's with us here on Hale Varsity Radio as uh, we're getting, uh, I guess, not even geared up for fall camp anymore. Fall camp now underway out in Nebraska. And Brandon, with everything you've heard in press conferences at Fan Day, uh, do, you, do you get the, the read that this team is more confident this year than they've been in years past? We, we, we've thought that some statements from Coach Frost and from some players have come off as confident in years past. But, but does this year feel any different in terms of what they're saying up at uh, their press conferences and such? 
it feels different in that the confidence so I think the confidence level for this team is is probably about the same um, as as past teams. But what it feels like is is how they say these things and and even acknowledging like, hey, you know, we're kind of tired of the talk to you, um, and we're ready to come in. We're tired of the past three seasons that we've had. So it almost has the effect of feeling like the confidence is dialed back a little bit, or at least you could read it that way. I, I like. I'm not, I'm not worried about them having low confidence. It's more of a, a quiet confidence this time. And, you know, I think a little bit of that has fallen away each year, though it was a little bit strange in, in 2019 when everybody was kind of picking Nebraska. Well, not everybody. It was a close, a close race with Iowa for the Big Ten West pick that year. But Nebraska was picked to, fin- to win the division. And, you know, the players do what, what Frost and the staff had done in year two at, at UCF. And it was probably the easiest to, to puff your chest out at that moment. That season doesn't go the way you wanted it to. Last season, you know, caveat that, that we all know, but you had a losing record again. Uh, the team feels a little bit humbled without the loss of confidence. Uh, which I think is probably about the ideal spot to be in. Okay. Have you uh, set fire to any of your Cubs hats? <laughs> Man, that was uh, – no, I haven't. Like, it's just kind of you got to – you got you bought the ticket. Now it's time to take the ride. And <laughs> while it's, it's, it's sad to, to see you guys uh, depart, um, you're just kind of like, well – this is the choice that they made. So we'll, we'll see what happens three, four years down the road, I guess. But when you look at the guys that were involved with the team to finally win a world series, and even post that you're like, the Cubs never quite got to the promise. They, they showed even in winning that, because, you know, that was a young team. You're like, Oh, they're set for the next four five, six years. They're going to contend for this for a while. And, and just uh, it didn't happen for a variety of reasons. And it's going to be hard to watch those guys in, in different uniforms now. But if, if I didn't buy, if I didn't burn my Cubs hat uh, like a million other times prior to, to winning the World Series, I, I can get through this one. Bren, I, I can tell you as a, a tortured Rockies fan of sorts, so so tortured that I don't even really follow the team anymore, uh, that I wish the Rockies would have blown it up and sold at the deadline like three years ago. It, it hurts all at once, but it's going to pay dividends down the road because, I mean, you saw the Rockies had to trade Arenado for peanuts. Uh, their team right now is not good, but not bad. They're just stuck in mediocrity, and uh, and sometimes blowing up the team is uh, is what you got to do. And so I'll, I'll just tell you, as a Rockies fan, I'm not envious of what happened yesterday with the Cubs, but I think it's going to work out down the road. Yeah, yeah I, I, I I hope so. Uh, but I am a fan. I am a fan of bold moves, and I think you I think you nailed it there. Like there's so much attachment to to those guys, like emotional attachment among the fan base because they did it. You know, they finally got the Cubs over the hump that it was even harder because like, it, it, it's hard to make that call, whether it's baseball or any sport. Like, you blow it up and, and start over knowing that three or four years from now, you know, you think that's the better bet. That's hard to make on its own. But I think with, with this one and just the amount of yesterday, like seeing those notifications come in, come in over the past two, two, three days on my phone, I'm just like, oh, there goes another one. <laughs> Even though I was prepared for it, it still stung. Well, I, and this was not intentional to, to go back-to-back with 
uber cub fans but i mean sharpie right now he may be breaking stuff i don't know but you've handled this well i'm very dude you're, you got you had some fortitude vogues <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm proud of how you've handled it and your reasoning look like there's lots of opportunity to go through the divorce and set the fire and say i'm done with him uh prior to championship and now it's just another punch in the face and and you just you take punch as well cub fan i love you to death i, I feel like once you enter fatherhood just becoming a, a cubs fan is a, a fan of sports in general like a, a day like yesterday that's that's nothing compared to fatherhood <laughs> yeah yeah that, that, that's true uh that's that's why i only absorbed it via notification right. <laughs> go. that's good vogues will uh, talk next week bud thanks for the time today sounds a lot thanks thanks guys Brandon Vogel with us, managing editor, HaleVarsity.com and Magazine. His book with John Cook, Dream Like a Champion. Get a hold of that if you haven't read it. And follow him on Twitter at Brandon L. Vogel. Quick Sp- speaking of, of John Cook, uh, I guess we, we got to go to a break here, but how about the job he's done in recruiting? I mean, people have been talking uh, yeah. about this is like, oh, maybe it's the end. Maybe he's going to go BAD. He's got a, a coach in waiting. It does not matter. He's getting the number one recruit every single year. He is incredible. He is absolutely phenomenal. That's Nebraska. Bama is on Nebraska volleyball level recruiting. All right. That's that's my comparison with the talent, the development, and then, oh, yeah, the level of athlete you're getting in from the get-go. So, John Cook, uh, he wants some more jewelry, brother. And uh, you know what? Nebraska will be poised to put a run together again. Gary Sharp, Iron Horse, up next with Hale Varsity. Glad to have you back. Yes, sir. You heard me right. Here are the guys, Schmidt and Cranach. Well, Hector, here's the game plan. You're going to bring us two absolute martinis. You know how I like them straight up. And then precisely seven and one half minutes after that, you're going to bring us two more. Then two more after that every five minutes until one of us passes out. Excellent strategy, sir. Oh, here he is. It's the Iron Horse, Gary Sharp, football and cub aficionado. We heard the somber thoughts from Brandon Vogel. He's taking it like a man. I'm sure Sharpie has as well. Gary, uh, did you pour one out for your cubbies last night, bud? Uh, that was a rough day yesterday. Like you, you've come to, you come to the realization that you get 16 and it had been 108 years, and you celebrate it, and you're thinking, okay, when is the next one? And it doesn't happen. Even though there was meaningful baseball played in October, which for the majority of my lifetime there hasn't, but you, you kind of come to the realization that this is going to come to an end, and maybe one guy gets traded away at the core, and maybe a second guy. Uh, they did not waste any time. Instead of going halfway, they went full way. So it was kind of it was tough yesterday as a Cubs fan. I mean, you get attached to you know three uh, pretty important players and and what the Cubs have been, uh, and it's tough to watch Rizzo rounding the bases in a Yankee uniform last night. But at the end of the day, uh, it got what I wanted. I mean, in my lifetime, I got to see the Cubs win a World Championship. Yes, they should have been maybe playing for another. Um, but it's uh, well, they need a fresh coat of paint. I, I'm okay. I, I think I, I I drank my sorrows away yesterday <laughs> afternoon when Chris Bryant was sent to San Francisco. Oh. How uh, we'll get to football in two seconds. How have you stayed? Because I'm I'm that guy that got off the the bandwagon that was on the uh, the spare tire growing up. I mean, WGN was kind of our babysitter. You know, we'd watch the Cubs and listen to Harry getting home from school. It was either that or the Braves, right? So, yeah. uh, 84, kind of remember. Uh, 
the 89 team, I can tell you that all of them, I love that team. They went to the NLCS against Will Clark and, and Kevin Mitchell. And even 03 on our honeymoon, we're sitting at the bar in, 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 uh, in Frisco, Colorado. And, you know, we're watching the Marlins make me pissed. <laughs> it was just yeah. awful. And so you stuck with him, brother. Kudos to you. I, I, I walked yeah, away after 03. You know what? They're my team. That's the and what you just laid out. I, you know, most people know I grew up in Des Moines. Yeah. So you have the AAA team there, and then WGN was so huge, and you weren't that very far from Chicago. So that was my team from the start, and I've never changed. And all of those things you mentioned. There's also the bad years, like Rizzo's first year. They were 61 and 101. That was in 2012. Yeah. It's my team. Uh, that's what we do as fans. I, I've, I've invested a lot into them. Uh, and I'll be there for the next go around. It just, it, it it's unfortunate that you just tear it down like that. But there were great memories and got a World Series. Mm-hmm. Just would have wanted more. Schmitty, I'm just imagining your poor wife on the honeymoon here, expecting like this picture as oh, a getaway. She was shopping. She was shopping. She was happy. So I will, I will, I will add one to Schmitty's honeymoon. So I went on my honeymoon in Jamaica. Okay. And I was so excited. We walked into. We were at one of those all inclusives. Uh-huh. Walk into our room, and of course, you know the worst thing you can do as a newly married husband is, hey, let's turn on the TV. We're in a we're in a place we've never been before, and the excitement <laughs> level I had uh, when I saw that WGN was on the cable system in Jamaica and we could watch the Cubs games. Probably should not going back and looking back at that moment. Probably shouldn't have said that out loud. <laughs> <laughs> he pulled the Homer Simpson, man. Keep that thought to yourself. Uh, we talk investment here. A lot's been invested on the recruiting trail, watching film, uh, developing relationships, and then getting kids to campus. Um, you know what's what's your assessment here? Sharpie of Nebraska's O-line. I know there's experience. I know Coach Frost talked about that hope hope you get it done mentality to we're going to get it done. Do you worry about the ability to do that? Do you worry about the experience being a roadblock still despite a lot of guys playing ball together? See, I disagree on the experience. This, is, this isn't going after what you just said, Schmitty. Right, yes. Those guys have played a lot of football. Now, you have one really, really projectable – high-end tackle that has started one game. But the other tackle, and this might be this might be the first time in a while Nebraska's had these two kind of tackles that are as highly ranked as they are. There's those, four of those guys have played a lot of football together. These guys have been together for a while. Uh, it, is, it is in terms of depth and uh, talent, where they're at now and where you project them. This is the best offensive line in four years, and it has to be a good offensive line. But any talk about the offensive line at Nebraska this year in 21 and what it's going to mean all goes back to the center. You know, Cam Jurgens uh, is having fun with name, image, likeness. Uh, he's in a good spot. I mean, you look at him a couple years ago to, to where he is now. His body has completely changed. Here's the whole thing about the offensive line. And, and I have Cam Jurgens guys, on my it's time to prove yourself and people are going, whoa, 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 what are you talking about? Well, if, he, if, we don't, if we're not talking about snap issues at all this year, then people can see that I think Cam Jurgens is going to be one of the top three centers in this league. And this is a league that includes the number one center in Linderbaum in Iowa uh, in the country. I, I think it's an opportunity 
if we don't talk about snaps, then people can really see that Cam Jurgens is a really good football player as an offensive lineman and what he has to do as a center. But I like this offensive line, but this offensive line is going to have to be really good and they're going to have to be very sound, and they're going to have to kind of they're going to have to mirror what everybody is saying. Hey, accountability, you got to cut down on penalties, you got to cut down on mistakes, mental or physical. We've got to be the starters. And I think with a guy in the middle like Cam Jurgens, I think you can do that. And then that is, that is another thing that takes you know, something like the plate of Adrian Martinez. Gary Sharps with us here on the weekend edition of Hale Varsity Radio. And Gary, it's a young offensive line, but despite being a young offensive line, uh, there is a lot of returning experience coming back uh, for the Huskers. And then when you add in the, the two tight ends in Austin Allen and Travis Vokalek, you, you think this can be a, a pretty good run-blocking uh, front seven, uh, I guess, uh, when you include those two guys. Uh, would you agree with that assessment? It, it just really feels like, uh, despite the, the uncertainty at running back, there's still a great chance for, the, for this offensive line to really be able to, to develop some, uh, some success in the, uh, the run game side of things. Well, I think that's a, that's a key, Elijah. And there's familiarity. These guys have been around each other for a while now. They've been in this offense. It's not like they've shaken up the offense. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, as the season unfolds, can we stop saying, hey, this is the Scott Frost offense, this is the Matt Rubick offense, there's Greg Austin sprinkling something on this offense. Can it have a, an identity that it's just known as the Nebraska offense? With what you said, and that is a great assortment of tight ends. It's unfortunate Thomas Fedone may not be back for a while. Uh, but you have Austin Allen, who I think could be in the running for all Big Ten honors. Uh, and, and, and there's a commitment to getting tight ends involved in the passing game. Here's the whole key, I think, to running the football this year for Nebraska. Yes, you've got a much improved offensive line. I love the big tackles. I think Turner Corcoran is ready to blow up. I love what he did against Rutgers when he was pressed into duty. You know what he was like when he was getting recruited. I think he's set up for a huge season. The tight ends are good, yes. Some of them block better than others. But here's where Nebraska's running game, take out the running back, will prosper, is what do the wide receivers do on the edge? If they're wide receivers that like to get dirty and are knocking people down, then that just is another element that opens up this run game. And again, another element that takes something off the plate of Adrian Martinez where he doesn't feel like where he's pressed into, i got to do everything because things aren't going well around me. Sharpie, let's stick with Adrian, and, and we talked with Vogues about Adrian a little bit, and uh, Adrian was, was up Thursday for the presser, and uh, there's that prove-it element to him, uh, came in with it, said that during the spring session, and also the nothing to lose, and it's not that there's not things attached to being the starting quarterback in Nebraska, there is, but his headspace uh, when it comes to just being able to play free, do you think that's because of the work he's put in, or do you think that's because of, you know, there, there is some confidence with what he's been able to see through spring and then the, the summer work they put in? Do you, why do you think his confidence is so high? Is it, is it his own comfort level, or is it the other ten around him? I, I think it's both, Schmitty, but I think a lot of it has to do with personal. I think he's in a really good spot. I think he's kind of at peace with where his career has been at Nebraska. I mean, there's, there's nobody else in that program that has written the good and the bad and the ugly, the peaks and the valleys more than Adrian. And as you get a little bit older and you maybe see that some of your goals are still out there but you haven't achieved them yet, and this might be your last dance, I mean, you start to, to, to think and, 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 re- and retrospective of where my career has been. I, I really think he's in a good spot mentally and physically and so that that 
shows when he's speaking or he's around his teammates or you see him on the field. I mean, everybody knows it's noticeable that he is trimmer. Uh, and we saw that helped his decisiveness in the times we got to see him during the, the, the spring. And I think he's not only – there's a different level of confidence in himself, but I think he really likes this team. I think this team has worked on the inside before they've gone outside, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that Adrian needed um, because they're talented, but I think they had some internal things that they had to work on. And he's comfortable. I, I, he, he, he feels really, really like – and again, I keep going back to at peace. I just think he's in a comfortable spot. Now, what does that mean four weeks from today? Well, you hope you eliminate the peaks and the valleys that he's had in his career. But I think he's comfortable and confident in himself. And thus, I think that makes everybody else around him feel good. But him being confident also in this offense is a good sign because this might be the first time that he has fully been confident in the pieces around him since the day he showed up when he had Devino Zigbo, he had Stanley Morgan, he had J.D. Spielman, um, and he could do what he wanted to do. Um, I think the other part of this, this whole fall camp and leading into the season is can Adrian stay healthy? He hadn't been able to stay healthy an entire season since he was a junior in high school. But his body being a little bit smaller, him being more headstrong, uh, I, I'm, 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 I'm really excited. I think he's poised for a big season. Is it enough to lift this team to a win or two wins more? Because really, guys, he's the only person on this roster that – that can lift the team up with uh, with where he can go as a player. Agreed, and he is gonna gonna be the the difference maker, and and he'll need help around him. Uh, I tell you what, Gary, with the the running back room, you need that running back element to come along and kind of handicap the 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 stable for us here as we we start camp and. Uh, we know some of the names, but what's what's been missing with some of the guys that have been here a while? Well. We just haven't seen them. Uh, either consistency or things that, that they do wrong that we don't get to see publicly. Uh, whether it be Ramir Johnson uh, in practice struggles. But, man, when we see him in game, he gives you some flashes. Ryan Held's got a stable of running backs. And we saw one of them during the spring that took advantage of his opportunities because everybody else was not available. And that's Gabe Irvin. Then there was something said by Scott the other day about camp. Now, the one thing about Nebraska's camp is there's not a lot of open jobs. There's a lot of familiarity. There's a lot of returning guys. There's not a lot of question marks on, hey, who's going to start here, who's going to start there. I mean, I would say there's probably four or five positions. Running back is by far the biggest, because you don't even know who one, two, and three is. But what Scott said the other day about we want to get the starters kind of defined early so we get some cohesiveness, boy, that in my head, thinking about the running back room, guys, I said, Gabe Irvin is the clubhouse leader. Mm. He showed up and showed out during the spring, and it wasn't like, hey, he just is the healthy guy, so he's number one. We looked at him and said, man, that guy looks like the really good running backs at Nebraska. He's kind of got that little feel. Now we just need to see him play in a game. You know, Nebraska needs that number one running back. I'm not big on running back by committee. I think Nebraska definitely needs the number one guy. I mean, it's been a while since we've had a Halu, a Burkhead, and a Mir, a guy, and you know, in the one year of Divine, where that was the guy. I don't like running back by committee. I like number one, and then a couple of guys. And if you do that, there's an Urban, there's a Step, and then there is a Yant, who is really intriguing to me. He is a large human being. But he's 250, and before his career's over at Nebraska, he'll be on Sports Center or Game Day <laughs> by twerking an opponent. But then I give you those three, and then we say, whoa, what about Scott? What about Morrison? 
I love the competition in the running back room, but I think it's important to get the pecking order out of the way sooner than later so you can define who it is. And if Gabe Urban is the number one guy, and I just told you about the depth in that room, mm-hmm. that's a great sign for Nebraska's running back room. Sharpie, sure, to follow up with this, uh, Gary Sharp with us, the Iron Horse Hale Varsity Radio. I am all for a non-committee 2021. I'm, I'm with you there. But do you think it can be a reality? The one thing we haven't seen is somebody get the job and keep the job here uh, at Nebraska here the last few years. You had, you had Ziggy emerge, right, towards the end of the year. But really it's been been a lot of shuffling. And maybe that's been injury. Maybe that's been trust, whatever. But Nebraska is not settled in. I love the plan to try and settle on a guy early. Uh, but, man, it, the, the running game has just it, it sputtered, frankly. It, it has just sputtered too often. Well, it, it puts the quarterback at ease. If he knows who he's handing off to on a, yes. on a regular basis. Uh, I, I, I think here, here's his, if you can have a number one, this is whoever would be number one is going to be able to do. One, they're going to be able to run inside, outside zone. Mm-hmm. They're going to be able to pass blocks. They're going to be able to catch the football out of the backfield. And they're not going to be somebody that fumbles. If you can take care of all five of those elements, that's your number one guy. I think it's vitally important with this team at that position to have a number one guy. Now, we say that, then it's on the six or seven in that room to be the number one guy. Now, if, if there's not a true number one, then it's tough to appoint somebody, and you're kind of stuck going with a running back by committee. Uh, but I truly believe that they want a number one guy, and they put it out there to that room that probably going to have a chip on their shoulder because – They've heard all the discussion all summer long. Hey, people are down this. They don't think there's a number one. Well, who's going to be that person that steps up and be the number one guy? Because that's what this offense needs. I don't think they need a revolving door behind Adrian Martinez. Gary, a bit of a hypothetical question here. If you were given the option uh, that Nebraska this year could either have an all-conference type guy at running back or an all-conference type guy at wide receiver, which do you think it would be more important for the overall success of the offense? Would you rather have a guy like Omar Manning develop into an all-conference threat or a guy like Marquis Stepp develop into an all-conference threat? I would take the running back because I think if you have a dynamic running back, somebody that is that good that garners those kind of uh, honors, they are not only able to run the football, but probably catch the football. And I think when that happens, it opens up the rest of the field for everybody else. Charby, I, I was not part of the uh, the realignment discussion last weekend, <laughs> so I, I want to follow uh, up uh, some How questions. How disappointed were you? Well, uh, I, not really. I'm still kind of <laughs> I'm still kind of in shock and awe about it. And I did reach out to some buddies down in Oklahoma and say, "Hey, just." Any any word on if the Big Ten ever reached out to Texas or Oklahoma, and and they're like, you know, I, I maybe Texas, but they don't have concrete. Yeah, I got it from somebody in the Texas AD. No, Oklahoma with with their air quote academic standing, and I think OU is a really good school. Uh, probably not what the Big Ten was shopping for. So I, I was interested in that. You know, where where was the Big Ten? in this whole thing from a proactivity standpoint. But, you know, are you worried? Are you worried about college football? I mean, and maybe you were asked this last week by Mark and, and Elijah, and if I'm asking you a, a second Saturday in a row, forgive me, but are you worried about where we're going? Yes. Uh, I think we, we've all fallen in love with college football because yeah. of regional rivalries, traditions. Uh, it's cool that 
Nebraska goes to Madison to play or Nebraska went to Manhattan to play. Um, but there's part of you as a college football fan, unfortunately, we were we fell in love with the game when it was definitely a sport and it was about the sport. And we made a shift kind of it's been gradually building and it's been taken off in the last ten, fifteen years, but it became a business. And it's about the brand and it's about the money and maybe less about the football. And that's where we're going with NCAA college football at the power five level. It is everyone for themselves. It's about brands. It's about money. The college football plan became a business when we're expanding from four to 12. It's entertainment. It's not the sport. It's about the money. We allow ESPN to really stop covering college football and start running college football with their stranglehold on the Bulls, uh, with them running the college football playoff, with them having the SEC and the ACC network. I hate it as a fan. As a business person, if I was on ESPN's side, they're spending smart money. Mm -hmm. They're gobbling up the brands. They're doing really, really well. People still watch college football, and they watch because of the brands and the big names, and they are putting them all under one umbrella. Uh, I, I think with the Big Ten, and I've been pretty strong on this, I don't think the Big Ten should do anything. Here's the problem with the Big Ten. A lot of it is it's not football-centric when you're making decisions, which I think is a mistake. I think from here on out, the Big Ten has to make decisions that are football-related first. Leave the academics on the side, but make football-related decisions. And a football-related decision to me would be stay at 14. Make your 14 better. Stress football. Help them in that way. I don't think outside of a Notre Dame and Oklahoma, a Texas, or a USC, there's really nobody out there that enhances Big Ten football that makes it better. You cannot add two teams, guys, and the stadiums aren't full. Mm-hmm. We already did that with Rutgers and Maryland. You, if you're gonna if you're gonna add two programs and everything is football these days, you can't add teams that don't fill up their stadium, even if they're good in the in the classroom. So I'm I'm okay with the Big Ten staying at 14, not just adding two to keep up, but I'm also realistic that the Big Ten TV contract is up and after the 23 season, that could be, as this started to be pushed towards the super conferences, that could be the next round where we just go all super conferences, and four or five years from now, we're not talking about the Big Ten or the SEC. We're talking about, hey, can Nebraska win the Midwest? Sure. That's fair, and I just want to make sure we we still have a Midwest region and it's not a 60-team league just in the southeast, because I don't want to shrink college football's footprint. I needed to expand, and you have that right now with all your conferences, some regions more passionate than others, clearly. Well, let me ask you, let me ask you guys this, and I brought this up on my show. Does, and you look at the landscape of college athletics, and remember, the state of Nebraska, where Lincoln is, you're not changing the location. I really can't do much about the size of the state. It is the second smallest state in Power 5 football. Uh, about 100,000 more people we have here in Nebraska in West Virginia, is what's best for Nebraska moving forward, does it match what you think is best for the Big Ten? I think right now Nebraska needs to climb up their standing on the football field to be what they were advertised to, to be given to the Big Ten. Okay, the, You know, you're getting a blue blood, you're getting a team that's winning eight, nine, ten ball games a year. Nebraska needs to get back to that and for the Big Ten, I don't disagree. You don't add just to add. I do think there are some programs out at the Pac-12 
that that would enhance your league. You you can't you can't just get SC. You probably can't get Notre Dame to match the SEC's OU and Texas brand gain. Okay, but maybe you get SC. Maybe you get Oregon, Stanford. I think there's a move there to. I see your raise, and then here's here's more money in the pot to at least keep pace. You don't want to. You don't want. You don't want your three big dogs poached. That's what I fear at some point, someday. Well, it, it, it then this discussion all comes back to what is the confidence level on the guy that's running the Big Ten? Because the guy that's running the because the guy that's running the SEC just ran the old okie doke on everybody else in the Power Five. Well, at least Barry Alvarez is the wartime concierge, Sharpie. Yeah, and that's you know what, and that was a, a huge move for Kevin Warren. And, and Barry Alvarez might be the de facto football commissioner, yeah. which is good. Um, I just hope that anything moving forward, I, I, see, I don't think outside of the teams we just mentioned, by adding a couple of teams like a Kansas or an Iowa State, sure. it enhances football. I think what enhances football in the Big Ten is the commissioner helping the 14 schools, stressing the importance of football not just to be adding to be adding because this conference needs to position itself where it's not just Ohio State and then maybe Penn State has a chance to get into the playoff. I think when they expand to 12, we already know the SEC is probably saying, hey, we got our four spots reserved. Mm -hmm. Can the Big Ten every year guarantee that they're going to have two teams in? They have to find a way between now and when the playoff expands, either to take care of the 14 or if they add a couple, to get at least two teams in the playoff every year. You're, you're right on with it. Sharp, you have a great weekend. This was a good chat. Appreciate your time, man. Hey, thanks as always, guys. See you, bud. Gary Sharp, the Iron Horse. Good to get caught up with him. That was fun. Good show. More Pepto time. And uh, we'll be ready to rock on a Monday. Can you we? get it handled tonight. I'll, with, I'll uh, get us a win. I, team I, team I, Alpha. We're going for three straight this year, aren't and, we? And... Uh, and 10-11. And if you got to go Tony LaRusso at home plate, you do that tonight. Podcast, find us, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Hail Varsity Radio. Thanks.